How you feeling? You feeling a little bit better? I don't know, man. I feel like, you know, last week, you know, just, you know, had a little bit of a, a recoup going on. But, you know, I feel a bit better now. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for asking. I know you care so incredibly much. Well, I care because I don't want to get sick through the microphone. Well, I've heard that that's a thing. Mm-hmm. On that note. Ah! Oh, my goodness. I pushed record. You sound like a Spanish conquistador. If you can properly explain what a conquistador is, <laughs> then I'll say okay. All right, so for those of you who don't know, my, my name's Rob. And oh, no, 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 no. That, that's not how I'm playing this. I'm playing it with this card. So, Joe, why don't you tell our new listeners <laughs> what Boominer Movement is? You would do that, wouldn't you? I would do it because we're recording really late. Because of you! Welcome to Cast Royale, the Clash Royale podcast for casual players. I'm Rob. And I'm Joe. And this week, we have a very special guest interview and catch up after an extremely long break. Boom. Boom. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Stitcher, CLNSmedia.com, or wherever you get your podcasts, we hope you enjoy the show. Episode 63, baby, let's go. It feels so good to be back. I can't believe we took three weeks off, dude. It's almost like a month. I know. It's been a very long time since we've done that, to be honest. But for anyone who didn't know, um, if you don't follow us on Twitter, if you're not a part of our Discord, I was much more sick than I thought I would ever be about two weeks ago. (laughs) started off as like a little cold and then my my throat started to hurt and I thought I could just shake it off and I was kind of telling Rob like every single day like ah yeah we can't record today but maybe tomorrow <laughs> maybe nah, maybe tomorrow <laughs> and it just didn't didn't quite pan out that way so you know just felt better taking a little bit of a break recovering getting better and uh here we are and now Joe's back in the flesh in the flesh some might say better than ever but I would argue that's probably not true. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm so happy that we're back and that it's a true return to form. Boom. So, with that said, how were your three weeks in the arena? I feel like it was actually pretty good. So, I mean, even though I'm sick, I'm obviously still playing Clash, right? That doesn't stop. It never stops. It's ingrained in your, in your core. Right. It's innately part of my DNA. Right. So... Season reset, and just before the season reset, I hit 4,900 trophies. It has been so incredibly long since I have been to 4,900 trophies, and I was super excited about it. And I think this was due in part because I finally, after over two years of playing this game almost every single day, finally got to level 13, dude. Boom! Dude, that's incredible! Dude, huge. It was, it was, you know, people underestimate the power of a king tower, but it's not really just the king tower. It's the archer towers or the princess towers as they are so put, right? And the DPS that those things give you on defense is insane value. And when they are under leveled, they take an extra hit to kill, you know, goblins. And, you know, there's just so many different scenarios where one 
One hit is all it took to get it killed, but, you know, the P.E.K.K.A. got a swing before then. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. you know, I think it's made all the difference in the world for me, and I'm, I'm super excited about it. You know, the season reset happened, got brought back down to, you know, 4,300 trophies or whatever it was, and right now I'm just kind of chilling. I'm just kind of enjoying the clan war scene. I'm not really trying to gain ladder trophies right now. I'm just trying to hang out and and see how the clan does in, in clan wars. And I guess right now our clan is sitting at 1,342 trophies. Um, and we are set to win uh, our next war. So we're we're getting pretty close to gold, dude. And I never thought we'd be where we are right now. That's awesome, man. Uh, yeah, us either. So how was your week in the arena? Uh, my handful of weeks was actually pretty good. Um, I am currently sitting around 4,200 trophies, but I ended the season at 4,538, which was pretty good. Not my best, but I'll take it. Um, I, I got like nothing seriously good, at least in my opinion, because I don't use these cards. I didn't get too much out of my season end draft chest, but hey, can't get all good ones, right? Dude. Before we move on, can I just tell you, out of my season end draft chest, I got 25 expos. Of course you did. And I am working on getting an expo deck ready <laughs> for ladder. When I saw the options, it was like expo or dark prince. I was like, I took a screenshot of it and I was just like, this can't be happening right now. It knows. <laughs> it knows that I'm trying to level up the expo deck. <laughs> It does know. Speaking of the Expo deck, I actually took the opportunity at the Season Reset to try my Expo deck, the one that we use, right. on the ladder. First game, immediate loss. Really? Yeah. And it's not because I wasn't playing it right. I was playing it the way that you're supposed to play it. It's just my cards are severely underleveled. But I figured that was the appropriate time because it's kind of like a mosh posh at the, uh, at the beginning of the, at the season. I like that, a mosh posh. You know what you should do, Rob? You should, you should play that in like a classic challenge. I do. I actually wasted all my gems. Not wasted, but I practiced using gems uh, in the challenges. And um, I made it to like, I don't know, maybe six or seven wins. I still have yet to make it all the way to 10 because I feel like the game realizes that I'm starting to get some momentum and it's like, Kabah! nah, we're not going to let him win. And by 10, you mean 12. By 10, I mean 12. Right. Boom. <laughs> Yeah. Could, well, shows how often I play challenges. You could you could tell that Rob and I don't really get to twelve wins that often. <laughs> right. And you could also tell I really don't know what I'm talking about. Boom. Mm-hmm. So my clan, Cas Royale One, is currently in silver three at twelve hundred and forty six trophies. So nice. congratulations to those guys. Huge accomplishment, dude. You know it's really crazy to see like our two casual clans that are sitting right now at silver three and we're like one or two solid wins away from getting into the gold realm and you don't get me wrong the gold tier is probably going to be super hard and really challenging and all really good players are in there but it's just crazy to think that at the end of the day we're like one or two wins away from the second highest possible tier you can be in I know. I'm really excited about it. Hopefully we get there. Um, we had a couple losses towards the end of our run, but uh, I think we're all trying to work together to get a little bit better and be a little bit more cohesive with the types of decks we throw into a war. Totally agree, dude. And I don't know about you guys, but one thing that really we have found very successful with wars is, I mean, we've talked about this before, right? You know, certain people are really good at making decks. Other people are really good at playing decks. <laughs> um, and what we found is that certain people in the clan, when asked to make decks given a, a, a card pool, 
are able to make different kinds of decks for people who aren't good deck builders but can play a certain kind of deck really well. So for example, a hog cycle deck or a beatdown deck, whatever the deck is, we have found that there are like three very good players in the clan that can put together one or two solid decks and then we kind of give like the clan an option to play these decks and then the clan practices with each other with these decks before they go into the battle and it's made all the difference in the world i mean you know when we first started we were barely scathing by winning half of our games and now we've kind of turned that around to win a lot more so you know just a quick tip from from us you hear that cast rail one let's uh let's take some notes here because we got some catching up to do boom boom and i'm about 200 rockets away from a level 11 boom boom Dude, a max rocket is insane. I know. But unfortunately, I don't have nearly enough gold, thanks to in part because of Clan Wars. Really? Yeah, because I have to get all my cards to specific levels, otherwise there's no point in playing those cards. And especially if certain cards only synergize with other cards, I feel like you have to have like a base level of epics and rares when you're going to play in a war, especially now that I'm, we're at the silver level. Yeah, you know, I think I would agree with that. I, I didn't think about that before, but now that you mention it, I have found myself upgrading things like epics that I would never, ever upgrade. I, because I think I'm going to use it in the war battle, I upgrade like that epic to, to level five when it's maybe a level two or something. See? Maybe I do know what I'm talking about. <laughs> if so, facto. <laughs> Boom. Boom. Um, and I unlocked the rascals. I'm assuming you did too? You didn't mention it. Oh yeah, I did. I did get the rascals, although they're still level one. I haven't upgraded them. Mine are level six. Nice. I should level them up because I see them all over the place. And to be honest, dude, I think they're pretty solid. They are pretty good. They're just kind of annoying that they die to like every spell. Well, I think that's the point. I think, I think now that I see how powerful they are in specific kinds of decks, if Mm -hmm. they didn't die to these spells, for example, the log or the arrows or whatever, I just feel like they would be way too overpowered. No, I agree. I just, you know, and I don't want to really dive into it too much here, but I I just feel like the girls in the back with the slingshots, I feel like you should have to use a log and a zap to kill them, right? It's, It's obvious that they would die to a fireball, but I just don't think that they should die to a log by itself. Right, but the way that I think about it, dude, is you're essentially getting a knight plus two archers, which in theory would be six cost. Sure, the stats are a little bit different, but more or less, they're, they're pretty close, right? They mm-hmm. serve similar purposes. But you, you, you're, you're, you're getting them for a five elixir cost. If they don't die to a log or arrows, and you make it more of a combination spell that has to kill them, well then, you effectively just wasted four elixir, right, in your log plus zap to kill archers. Think about that but you still have to deal with the knight. <laughs> right. I mean, on defense, it's almost impossible to deal with. And if you've seen this card in any sort of deck, I assume it's probably in some sort of a bait deck because the best way to kill the archers in the back, the little, the, you know, the rascal girls in the back is like you mentioned, a log or an arrow. And so it effectively works really, really well in a bait style deck because you're kind of forced to use it on those but then you don't have it for a goblin gang, or then you don't have it for a goblin barrel, or to stop a prince, right? I mean, it becomes incredibly difficult to choose what to use it on. Yeah, yeah. 
I, 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 I tend to agree with that now that you put it like that. But you know what is really good at dealing with at least the girls in the back of the rascals? Tell me. The princess. And I got one from my crown chest over the last three weeks. I see what you did there. You like that? Yeah, I like that. It's my bi-weekly legendary drop. Which you seemingly do get every, every other week, which is incredible. I do. I really don't know how it happens. Don't question it. It'll stop if you do. Yeah, you can. No, I don't know. What princess? What are you talking about? I haven't seen a princess in weeks. <laughs> right. Um, so... Those were our couple of weeks in the arena. Uh, there were a handful of things that actually happened in this game and for the community over the last couple of weeks. Uh, so we're not going to harp on them too much, but we do want to mention them just in case you don't know what's going on. And the first one, and probably the biggest one, is that Supercell is switching to monthly balance updates. Finally. <laughs> Tell me how you really feel. No, I just did. I mean, finally, right? At the end of the day, Balance changes that come more frequently add a freshness to the game. You know, you don't want to tweak cards just to tweak cards. But at the end of the day, every single balance change that you make has indirect impacts that you did not think about when you made the balance changes themselves. And so the small tweaks that can always continue to happen make the game more fun, make the game more fresh, make decks change all the time, make the meta evolve. And that is what you need to have a game that strives and thrives. And that's exactly what this what this will do. Right. And I like that you said it makes the meta evolve. It makes it so that if there ever happens to be a stale meta, right, or something that's just like overpowering the meta in the current situation, it makes it so that you really don't have to deal with that for too long. Right. Or on the flip side, if there's a meta that you truly love, well, you better love it for just a month because at the end of the day, that could... That could change quickly, and this forces people to use cards that probably have become forgotten cards in stale metas. And, you know, there's 84 cards in this game now, and every meta should spotlight different versions of those cards. And I think that this will do just that. I completely agree. So we also got a gold rush with standard shop boosts and that was pretty cool that was cool i didn't really take advantage of this as much as i would have liked to uh and looking back on it that was a poor choice yeah i would have to agree with you dude it's uh it's a free way to get six thousand gold and i did take advantage of it and i got 6k especially since we just mentioned the fact that clan wars is eating up all of our gold uh, this is a great way to get free gold for doing the same stuff that you normally do. You know, Rob, when you put it that way, see, like I already knew that I missed an opportunity, but when you put it that way, you just, you know, just put, you know, just, just stick the knife in and turn it, you know? You yeah. Just... Salt on the wound, raining on your parade. I don't, I don't have any more fancy analogies, but that's all I got. I, th I think you get the point. You're incorrect. Right. I'm doing it wrong. Right. Well... Follow my lead next time, man. The little brother never leads. Right. Next time, I'll just ask you. Hey, Rob, are you taking advantage of this gem rush? <laughs> yeah? How about the gold rush? Yeah? Tell me why. Yeah. Also, another thing that happened way, way, way back on Memorial Day, we had a touchdown challenge, and that lasted all weekend. Dude, love me some good touchdown. Yeah. No, I, I like the touchdown. I like the touchdown challenges. I like when they do, um, you know, friendly battles where the option is a four-person in-clan 2v2 challenge mm -hmm. um 
I just, you know, I don't think that it's a a feature that should always be in the game, but whenever it comes out, I try and take advantage of it because people have a lot of fun with it, given that it's pretty casual. Right, I agree. You know what I love more than a touchdown challenge, though? Hmm. Oh, you really don't know. Okay. Having touchdown in collection days. Oh, dude, I totally, I totally forgot that that was even a thing. So, so that's right. So touchdown is now in uh, collection day and triple elixir is also in collection day and ramp up is now also in collection day. So we had a couple of things that were added. You know, they supercell had like a, um, what was it? A, a maintenance update one day. Mm-hmm. They didn't tell anybody anything. And then boom, you go back into the game, touchdown on collection day. What up? I was like, Man, I really wish that I would have known you guys are doing this because I finished all three of my games already. <laughs> right. Now, did they remove the other uh, game modes? No, all the other game modes are still there, right? Like Draft is still there. Two Times Elixir is still there. Okay. I'm not in there enough to really pay attention to how many game modes are different. But one thing I did want to bring up now that they added more game modes is I'm still kind of confused why there's only allowed to be three game modes on the map at once that essentially means that only three people can play at a time and there's so many game modes now yeah and i i agree right but i mean at at the end of the day i mean there's typically at least one game mode that is 2v2 on the screen so four people in theory could be playing at any given point in time but also i think that part of the point of this thing Mm -hmm. clan wars is not just for everyone to play their own game but for people to take part in the clan. So when I'm playing, anybody else can watch me. And if all three modes are being filled and someone else wants to play, well, in the meantime, they can just go spectate the game and support the people who are playing in that collection day battle. Um, In a similar way, right, if the war day battles are going on, only one person can battle at a time. You know, not everyone in the clan can do it all at once. I think that's cool because it allows the 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 day to last longer in theory and also it allows people to cheer you on or you know be your fan boy or fan girl whatever it is and it's more of like a community feel i feel like that's true maybe a happy medium would be that when someone starts a game mode that's the moment when another game mode comes up so essentially you'd have four on the screen but one would be occupied and the other three would be open for other people to use but then you'd never run out, right? Like then you then in theory could just, you'll always have game modes open for people to play. I mean, they rotate so quickly. It's not like it's as soon as one goes away, one pops back up and it's a different mode. That's true. That's true. I guess I'm just trying to give food for thought. I like your food for thought. I know. I know. I cooked it. I cooked it especially for you, man. Right. It just seems a little raw. You know what I mean? Oh, you need it. Need it cooked a little bit more, a little bit right. more well done. <laughs> Right, yeah, you should have marinated it a little bit before you put it on the grill. <laughs> and when it came uh, out, it should have been medium rare and not rare. Just be happy that I seasoned it, bro. <laughs> so anyway, the last piece of news is that the CRL Latin American teams were announced. Boom! Boom, dude, this is huge. And it's, and it's really cool, man, because the competitive play is now also entering the Latin American region. Teams like Giants and Mad Lions, Sandstorm, which is a very popular team, typically competing with Nova on the ladder, and Cream Esports, among others. You know, I think that they they named eight specific teams, some of which are well-known names, others, you know, people may have just been hearing for the first time, but in any case, expanding more on the globe with CRL, and it is amazing to see. 
I know. I can't wait to see how all this shakes out. Shaking big, baby. Let's go. And that's pretty much it for all the news. But speaking of CRL, we have a big surprise for our listeners. So we didn't just take the last couple of weeks off and did nothing, right? Joe, come on. We don't do nothing in our spare time, especially since we always play Clash to begin with. What do you think we do? We just sit here and twiddle our thumbs all day? No, we play Clash and we make things happen, baby. Let's go. Exactly. So without further ado, we have a special guest by the name of Matt Rutledge. That's right, Matt Rutledge. Welcome to the show, man. For those of you who don't know, Matt has been a pioneer in the community since day one, an entrepreneur at that for different things from from a community feel to a competitive feel. And Matt, well, we cannot thank you enough for, for, for being on the show, taking the time to talk to us a little bit about not only Clash, but esports in general and mobile gaming, which is an even broader spectrum. Um, so thanks so much for, for taking the time to join us, man. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. Listen, I was telling you before we started recording here, but I've been watching you guys from the very beginning, too. Uh, you've been around, what, two years now? And, and I remember when you guys first launched. So to see you guys going strong still with, with 63 episodes, guys, congratulations. Um, so happy to be here for this episode here. Truly, truly appreciate that, man. So, so, so why don't we do this? Can, can you kick us off with telling us a little bit about yourself, the, the history of Matt Rutledge and where you came from and, and kind of where you are today? And I also want to know where the nickname came from, Mastery Matt. <laughs> All right. Well, that's where it begins. So good lead in there. Uh, I actually started from a business perspective here in esports. I had launched a coaching platform called Mastery.gg. Um, and I was, I was actually working for a tech incubator at the time as entrepreneur in residence and uh, really got the nod to be able to start a company and, and whatever I wanted to pursue. And uh, being a big gamer, I chose esports. And so um, was really at that time the first endemic company in the Clash Royale scene. Um, so got to explore a lot of different marketing opportunities with uh, putting on uh, bracket tournaments on Twitch or hosting YouTube videos with Orange Juice, which was a blast. Um, even, you know, had a lot of fun working with Nova and getting some max accounts into a mastery clan. But through that, I actually started a Clash Royale organization uh, where we were the first to contract players and hold structured practices, and that was the Mastery.gg Pro Team. Um, and grew that organization to the point where we were uh, really the best in the world, but um, ended up stepping away from there and, and focusing a little bit more on the business side of the industry. Um, I launched an umbrella of companies called the Mobile Esports Lab, where we're working on a mobile esports sponsorship agency, uh, coming out with some peripheral products, and uh, got some really fun stuff planned here. Uh, for the, the future of mobile esports. And uh, now recently joining Complexity Gaming as director of mobile gaming and just so thrilled to be able to be working with a professional organization like Complexity and um, the, having the type of support and drive that they had to do great work in mobile is just a perfect fit. Yeah, no, and I think Rob and I, I can speak for, for the both of us when we say that we watched you when you first created Mastery.gg and now seeing you as the, the mobile gaming director of Complexity, which is a huge esports organization, a huge congratulations to you. And it just shows you know, how the hard working passion pays off in this industry. Um, so, so just to take a step back from what you had kind of said before the, the, what was the esports lab? Can you just tell us a little bit more about that? Does that invest in yeah. players? Does that invest in businesses related to esports? Like, what is the concept of that? Sure. So, the Mobile Esports Lab is really an infrastructure company. So, um, we're just getting together a really talented team here in mobile esports, and, and with the mission of building the companies of the future for the scene of mobile esports. Right. So, knowing that mobile esports is still young, there's very little structure, very few sponsors, um, but it's growing very rapidly. Well, there are going to be certain things that are going to happen along the 
the way um, where somebody's going to build something and create something, and we want to be those people. So we're, we're casting a few bets in a few different areas, uh, one of those being a sponsorship agency, so helping to attract more companies into the mobile esports scene because um, you know conducting advertisements and sponsorships in mobile is very different than conducting them in a console esport or a PC esport. Um, you know, the way that you interact with mobile gamers is different. Mobile gamers are different. So there's a lot of uh, complexity, no pun intended, <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> you know, doing effective sponsorships in mobile esports. Um, but then, you know, once we have those channels set up and those relationships and a track record of really uh, executing sponsorships well in mobile, well, then we can also leverage that and uh, bring some products of our own to market in mobile esports. So uh, that's certainly on the horizon as well. Yeah, I got to tell you, that sounds like a very strategic plan. I mean, it's, it, from from our perspective, and this is you know, in part why we wanted you to come on this show to talk about it. It seems that you had, you've had the ability to find a niche group uh, within a rising industry um, and really try and grab it by the horns and make the most of it. Yeah. And this is, again, one of these things where mobile gaming in and of itself is massive, right? It's actually bigger than PC gaming or console gaming uh, comparatively. But that includes the games like Candy Crush, just the casual apps that you just hop on and and play. Don't tell any of the computer gamers that, though. They'll probably have a heart attack. (laughs) But at the same time, the competitive scene is still really young, right? So um, I was just really fortunate to stumble across mobile esports when I did. Um, Actually, when I launched the coaching platform, I chose Clash Royale just because it was a game I knew. I played it lot myself and um you know i trusted that you know i'd be able to launch the company off on the right foot in clash royale so but it just really got a sense that there was something here and uh i'm just addicted you know once once i go into something i'm just all in and uh can't stop creating so that's kind of where i found myself now that's awesome so it's it's funny that you say that you uh you know you play a lot of clash so that actually brings us to our first softball type question can you tell us what your favorite card is in clash royale and why my favorite card. Uh, that's a good question. There's a lot of these cards now. Um, I'm going to have to say, I would say Fireball. Wow. Um, which is a bit unorthodox, but it, like if I were to think of a few moments in Clash Royale where I really thought like, wow, that was a, that was a amazing move or whatever. It's those predictive fireballs. Um, cause like predictions are such a like hyper competitive move. It takes such a fundamental understanding of what cards your opponent has. It has to do with card rotation to be able to predict what they're going to play next. So, uh, like if I were to pick one moment in Clash Royale um, and one card, it would have to be Fireball, uh, but used predictively. That's a fantastic choice, and it's so different than Joe and I because we both we both are very uh, heavily dependent on using a rocket within our Mortar Mauler decks. Nice. So even though the rocket does so much more damage, you don't get the same speed that you get with a Fireball. Like I feel like when you throw a Fireball, it just like smacks the arena, and you just have so much more impact. I've seen a lot of fun rocket plays, too, and I have to say, that's a fun deck. That's my go-to ladder deck, too, Mortar Rockets. See? A man after our own heart. (laughs) You're in our wheelhouse, man. Love it. So, Matt, now that we're done with the softballs, let's get into the nitty-gritty. So, what we want to do is, you know, we talked about your your start at Mastery.gg, and then all the way until complexity at your current role. So so what we'd like to understand and, and, and better explain to our listeners is, what are you currently responsible for as the Director of Mobile Gaming at Complexity? Yeah, sure. So uh, my primary role is to be able to recruit and manage our mobile gaming teams. Um, so obviously, we're, we're going to be participating in the Clash Royale League this fall. So, so, so excited for that. Um, so I was, you know, the guy behind choosing the players we brought in, um, setting up the support structure for them. And uh, we'll be there on the ground in L.A. to be able to be with the team for the league, which is also exciting. Uh, but we're not just going to do Clash Royale. We're looking at a lot of mobile games right now. Uh, Want to make sure that we're in a position where complexity can really be a leader in the scene and, and forging the path for 
for mobile esports because uh, it will take some tier one organizations to do that. Right. Um, but then in addition to the esports team side of things, there's a lot of mobile initiatives that we want to do. Um, so haven't announced details on those quite yet. That's on the near horizon too, though. No, that's really interesting, Matt. So, so one quick question though, you had mentioned different games aside from Clash Royale, right? So in your role, how do you gain the understanding that you'd need for any other mobile game to be able to help pick those players? Like what, what do you do to educate yourself in all of those games to be able to do your job successfully? Yeah, that's a great question, right? Because I have to also understand my limitations and I'm never going to know any of these games, even Clash Royale, to the point where I know which player is better than the other necessarily, right? Especially not a new game that I'm trying to uh, explore. It's a really big decision for a tier one esports organization to enter a game. And especially for an organization like Complexity that really wants to develop a reputation for doing great work and having excellent teams in each game. Um, it's, a, it's a massive decision to enter a new game. So when, it, when I start the evaluation process for taking a look at these new titles, um, it starts with really getting to know who the players are in the scene, um, not just their talent level, but their personal quirks, uh, their characteristics, how they would fit in a team environment. Um, and and I actually do approach this the way that a lot of teams do, was you start with the the core of the team, whoever the team captain is, and then you allow that person or maybe two people uh, to build a team around themselves because elite players know <laughs> who the other elite players are. And then uh, also if you kind of give a little bit of power to the players themselves, um, you're, it's a surefire bet that you'll develop some team chemistry too. So Matt, we keep bringing up, uh, you know, complexity. So when you hear the word complexity, what comes to mind? We really want to help our listeners understand what the company and the brand mean to you, because you know you you're trying to find players that fit the values of your company. So that must there must be something specific that you're looking for. Yeah, that's a great question. So um, to me, complexity is synonymous with legacy. Complexity is actually one of the oldest esports organizations in existence. They've been around for 15 years now, which is wow. pretty wild considering that a lot of the best players aren't even 15 years old. So, um, And over that time, Complexity has racked up 140 different titles across multiple platforms um, and then also has along the way learned and, and uh, a whole lot about what it is uh, to, to operate in esports and have success in esports. Um, they were actually the first organization to have a gaming house uh, in North America, which is really exciting and um, now just recently got acquired by the Dallas Cowboys, another organization that's known for what? its legacy. Um, so we moved our headquarters out there to Frisco, now sh- share the same complex as the Dallas Cowboys uh, at the Star in Frisco, um, which is really exciting. I mean, literally, when you go to our complex, our players will be living there and eating at the, the same cafeteria that's the Dallas Cowboys football players will be. So you'll literally be eating your meal, look over and see Dak Prescott at the table next to you. Um, and how's that for motivation? <laughs> no, that's, that, that would motivate anybody, even if you're not a football fan. Yeah, so it's a luxury to be able to have that in professional sports because the Cowboys really do have a world-class system set up for player care. Um, and so for an esports organization to be able to offer that type of support with uh, nutritional facilities, with training facilities, with medical staff, um, it's just such a luxury. Really, really happy, and it seems to be a perfect fit working with the Cowboys organization. You know, it's it's really funny, Matt, that you, that you say that. And, and to you, I think you've experienced it, so you say it very casually. But think about what was just said, right? An esports organization was purchased or is dealing with the Dallas Cowboys, which is (laughs) fundamentally one of the biggest sports organizations in the world. Um, I mean, to 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 put it into perspective that way is really tremendous. And I and I think really kind of goes to show what we've been trying to show since we've started talking about esports almost a year ago 
as it relates to Clash Royale, it, it really just kind of goes to show how uh, exponentially growing this industry is. You know, and it's amazing. I have to actually step back and, and pinch myself every once in a while because especially as a guy that's been around Clash Royale from the very beginning, just like you guys, I just cannot believe that we are here and uh, so humbled to be in a position to, to run this type of team in Clash Royale. So uh, I'm, I'm with you guys. Cool, cool. So, so you had mentioned that the players on the team can kind of go have lunch with Dak Prescott if they want to. So, I mean, your first pick, and you mentioned that you were responsible for really deciding who the first pick on the team would be. Right. For the Clash Royale esports team, for you guys, that was Colton Wall. And by picking him, it kind of looked like, to the public at least, or at least when most CRL teams were picking their first team or their first team member, it was kind of like their captain, right? Like that member of the team that you guys wanted to build around. Can you help Rob and I and our listeners understand why you chose Colton? What did he bring to the table that others didn't? Yeah, happy to, because Colton is a a really special talent. And obviously, I've had a a bit of a history myself having him on the mastery team. Um, So certainly know the ins and outs of of him as a competitive player. But um, what made it a no-brainer to me is a couple things about Colton. First of all, it's his intensity. Um, I don't know if there's many more players in Clash Royale that are as intense as he is when it it comes to a competitive setting. And uh, what comes with that is a commitment to excellence. Um, So he wants to perform his best. He wants the best around him uh, with players, with support staff. And I I knew that I'd be able to uh, take a good stab at that. Um, and one thing about Colton is that he's a huge learner. He craves learning. Um, and so being able to set up the type of systems around him that enables him and our team to learn faster than the competition, um, it just made Colton a, a surefire bet for the uh, first pickup for our team. Yeah, no, I mean, I, and I think that makes total sense, right? When you're building around someone, you want the leader of the team to be someone who is willing to learn themselves, right? As opposed to just kind of demanding. I think that that feel, that team feel that you're building is more of a real team feel as opposed to um, a vertical feel. It's like that horizontal feel, if, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, yeah. So uh, there are a lot of talented players in the world right now. Um, but when it comes to building a good team, you have to have a competitive environment where players can share knowledge, they can learn from each other. Uh, because something that's really inherent about Clash Royale is this is a game that's always changing. Uh, there are new cards coming out all the time. There's now monthly balance updates. And even within a certain balance, the meta is going to shift two or three times, right? So the only sustainable advantage for an organization um, in this game is the ability to learn faster than the competition because you've got to stay ahead of the meta. You have to stay ahead of your competition. Uh, you've got to come out with stuff that nobody's seen before. And the things that are already out there, you've got to play better than anybody else. So um, that's kind of my personal philosophy in running this team. Every decision that I've made has been in service of creating the best learning environment. And that starts with getting players that crave learning. Uh, it it you know, comes to getting data analysts and, and uh, you know, coaches on board that help aid in that learning process. Um, and then also ensuring that our players work well together so they can talk strategy and have this environment where iron is sharpening iron. I think that's incredible. And honestly, Joe and I can really empathize with that because, I mean, we're, we're not nearly on the same scale as you guys, right? Like you're, you're at the hardcore competitive level versus us, which are on the casual side of things. But we've noticed that in the last two years that we've been trying to build our Discord community and the people that we meet on Twitter and the people that are now in our clans or across all 16 of the Cast Royale clans, we've noticed that the best way to get people to really engage is to just foster an environment of learning. And that's really where you're going to see everybody shine. And the fact that you and the rest of the organization shares that same philosophy, 
makes us feel good for what we're doing on a, on a much smaller scale. So kudos <laughs> yeah. to you guys. But what a special thing to be able to have a thriving clan system like that, where everybody feels like a family and they're chatting with each other. I mean, that's what this game is all about, right? There's a social element that's really built into this game. Um, you know, and even at the hyper-competitive level, a lot of people think that Clash Royale is a one versus one esport, right? Because it's an individual player playing another individual player. But what they don't see is the stuff behind the scenes where uh, that person's playing a deck that his teammate suggested to him and he perfected in countless friendly battles against his fellow <laughs> pro, you know, um, there's so many team elements that, that go into being the best in the world at, at something like this. I just really think, uh, clash Royale is a hidden team sport. If that makes sense. Totally agree. So like you were saying, clash is a team sport and you previously mentioned that mobile gaming is bigger than all other brands of gaming, right? So what would you say is the biggest mobile gaming platform for the esports community? And maybe where does Clash Royale sit on that ladder? Yeah, that's a good question, too, because, uh, you know, if I were just looking contained in the West, you know, the United States, Europe, um, I would have to say Clash Royale. I mean, we've got a game that's continuously on the top of the charts. Uh, we now have this really legitimate esport behind it. Uh, but what, you know, you may not know is that in the East, mobile esports has been adopted for years. And actually, the largest mobile game uh, in the East is Honor of Kings, which is the Chinese version of uh, Arena of Valor. It has oh, 200 nice. million monthly active users, which is phenomenal. Um, so in terms of, of the scale of, of Clash Royale versus other mobile titles, um, certainly if I were thinking in the West, it'd be Clash Royale, but in the East, that'd be Honor of Kings. Now, it's really interesting. And, you know, it's crazy to think about on the East, we have this, this perspective of mobile gaming, esports, this platform is relatively new. And we kind of talked about this a little bit, Matt, but huge organizations invest big amounts of money, a lot of time and tremendous amounts of effort on the East Coast in Clash Royale, as you just mentioned, for the mobile gaming platform, right? Can you just help our, our listeners understand why they would do that? What benefit is it for those companies, those big organizations to do that? Yeah, that's a really important question. I think that it's, um, I would answer that a few different ways. So first of all, there's just a lot of hype right now around mobile in general, um, with mobile apps, with smartphone devices. So if you're a, a company, right, trying to advertise, um, mobile is one of the ways that you would do that. And when you pair that with the growth of mobile esports, it seems like that's a really big niche that a lot of teams are trying to take advantage of, right? They want to be on the ground level. They want to develop a reputation in mobile like Complexity is um, for being one of these organizations that help grow the scene because they understand that esports is going to happen in mobile whether these game companies want it to happen or not. Clash Royale is a great example of that, right? Where sure. you know, we had years of just the community driving the competitive scene. Um, and then Supercell finally saw that and was like, man, let's do something special here. And, uh, here we are with Clash Royale League. And, um, I think that there's a lot of investment in this one in particular because of that game developer support that we're seeing now. Um, Supercell's really done a phenomenal job. I've just got to give it to them for putting together a professional all in type of esport. Um, and I'm just so excited for you guys to see everything that's been in the works here for the CRL. Um, we're about what a couple months now from that being uh, fully public and in, in swing here this fall. I'm so excited. That's really great stuff, Matt. I mean, you talk about CRL, and that is, in our minds, the competitive event, right? That is, for, for casual players, that's, the, the, that's the, the world series that we're vicariously living through. I'll tell you what, we cannot wait for that thing to come. But in the meantime, while we're waiting for it, you've been pretty busy helping prepare for that, not only for just your players or your, the members of your team, but you've been hosting combines for 
other players to prepare for this. Can, can you maybe tell us a little bit about what those combines are, what the purpose of them is and what you're trying to do with them, but, but also what these competitive events do for the community overall? Yeah, sure. So I, I started something called the CRL Bootcamp, um, which is really a, a Discord server that I launched to try to help get competitive players a platform to train and get ready for this league, because this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Um, and if you're one of the best players in the world, you really want to put yourself in the best position to succeed. So um, I started this, this Discord server as a way to kind of get these like-minded individuals together in a place where we can all practice together and compete at a high level, um, but also as a, a platform to give some insight into what it means uh, to have a league like this this fall, right? Because this is new for all of us. Um, but we've now got a ton of multi-million dollar esports organizations involved. And it's just going to be a totally different game uh, on the competitive side than we've been part of in the past. Because when you're representing complexity, when you're representing Team Liquid, um, there's an expectation. There's that legacy that I talked about. Um, you're representing also the Dallas Cowboys. Um, right. So what does that mean, right? Yep. Yeah, so there's a whole player evaluation process that goes on and um, just kind of helping communicate that to the players and that this is not you know the game that you've played in the past this is uh this is a new thing and if you want to be in this league you know there's a uh, certain rule set you're gonna have to act like a professional you're gonna have to train every day outwork the competition um think smarter right if you know the competitive format well in the days leading up to that you better be scrimmaging in that format so that you're fully prepared for game day um, and so that's really what we've been doing is along the way, um, as, as the CRL qualification process has been happening with the 20 win challenge, as an example, um, you know, we talked about strategies for completing a 20 win challenge because that's difficult. That takes a lot of mental endurance. Um, and then there was a, a qualification stage and a massive brackets. And we talked about how to survive in that type of cutthroat environment. So um, really, really happy to be able to, to put that on, but also to be able to bond with the players. And hey, as a scout, I mean, that's a great way to get to know some potential talent here. And I'm really glad that you ended on that point, Matt. I mean, that's such insightful information. At, at the end of the day, I, I got to believe that you are, but are, are you and other people using, other people that would be in your role for other CRL organizations, are you guys using this boot camp as a way to scout potential players to recruit them for your team? Like, are you able to find gems or needle in a haystack that, that you didn't know about previously through this process? Yeah, that's that's definitely part of it. Um, I will say my primary motivation was just to help out the scene. I mean, I understand as someone that's been around here from the beginning that we all got to work together and collaborate uh, in order for this game to grow. So um, and I also understand as a business person that when the tide rises, all the boats rise with it. So um, I had a real unselfish motivation just trying to help players out and um, answer some questions that maybe they weren't thinking of yet, you know. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I've gotten to know some really talented players. Um, this The EU combine just wrapped up and I, I know a phenomenal group of players that have still not been signed. So, hey, who knows? Um, you know, come time for Complexity to pick up some players. I think I've got a few options here. Sure. No, that makes sense. I mean, the selfless motivation that you talked about is, is key. And I think, you know, the indirect benefits that you guys get for doing what you're doing is also tremendous, not only for you, but uh, for the community as a whole. And I think that that's just apparent in, 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 in how it all kind of plays out. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something actually that, you know, has really been clear to me from the beginning in Clash Royale is that there have been groups of people that have stuck together um, and really been able to drive this this esport into what it is today. And, and one of these people is Chiss. And if you don't mind me giving a shout out, um, founder of RPL, which is, you know, the most prominent community driven league um, in Clash Royale. And, you know, CRL would not be where it is now without his influence, as an example. Um, so for me to be able to take, you know, some of the lessons that I've learned and, and now my position and platform 
platform at Complexity and to be able to help out some players, um, give them a little bit more information and maybe a little bit of a spark inside them to say, hey, I can go live out my dream and get paid to play this game that I love and travel the world. Like, how cool is that? So um, it's just been a blast to be able to work with these guys. All right. So I want to kind of take this conversation a little bit of a left turn. So um, let's talk a little bit about the mobile gaming Mondays. Can you tell us about what kind of impact the live community events have on the community as a whole? Yeah, sure. That's been a really special experience, too. That was actually the first live event series that I've ever run. So I have a brand new appreciation for production companies. Oh, man, it, it, there's so many things that go on behind the scenes to put on a live event series. But it's just been um, a really special impact on the community in L.A. Um, there's just something about live events. I mean, we play against and with these people all the time. But when you see them face to face at a live event, you just connect with people in a way that you couldn't do right? You know, just online. So um, to be able to help cultivate that type of live community um, in LA has been really special. And then we also actually drove a, a pretty unique format for the Mobile Gaming Monday series, um, which tried to appeal to not just the competitive players who are the best in that region, but also the casual and the casual competitive player. Um, so it was more of kind of a festival than it was an esports tournament in the sense that it wasn't just one single competition where we crown the winner at the end of the night, but we also had these booths activities that were games or challenges where you had to get, you know, 10 or more princesses on the map in a friendly battle, right? So you, everybody <laughs> would walk up to that booth awesome. and they'd just try to, all right, princess, mirror, clone, mirror, and clone. Then <laughs> try to get as many as possible. Yeah, yeah. And, but we had people get like 35, I think it was, princesses. So that's pretty cool, you know? Wow. Wow. <laughs> But it's one of these things where, you know, you're going to this live event for Clash Royale and you're having a blast, even though you're not a hyper competitive player, right? Because you're able to share this experience and share your passion for this game with other people in your area. And how cool is that? No, it's fantastic. And if there's one thing that Rob and I might ask you is if you could ever bring those events to the East Coast, oh, we would yeah. love it. We would go. We just can't. It's hard to it's hard to take off of work and go all the way to California as much uh, as I love the state of California. Well, I'd love to do that, guys. Actually, that's kind of the end goal of what I'm thinking with that series is, you know, we have a Mobile Gaming Monday happening in California. We got one happening in New York. We got one happening all across the country, right? And then not just are you playing against people in your city, uh, but you're also able to compete against other regions. So if in this other event, you know, the L.A. location is able to get, you know, 100 princesses on the map or whatever in total, um, you know, it would be kind of this regional competition as well. So I, I would love to be able to do something like that, guys. Yeah, no, I, and, and, and what you're saying, all these things is just tremendous because at the end of the day, it winds up becoming not only uh, the, 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 the use of the word festival before is, is really a great thing because it's those kinds of things that allow the community underneath the pro scene to thrive, right? Yeah. Anyone who has a passion about this game that plays it, like Rob and I or anybody else in our casual community that listens to this podcast, knows that 90% of the time, we like to just have fun. <laughs> and sure, we like to win while doing it, but at the end of the day, if you can just have fun and take a break from the mental stress of trying to win all the time and just compete in a different way, it really adds a different vibe of freshness to the game. Absolutely. And let me tell you this, you know who the most important person is in the esports scene? It may, it may be counterintuitive here, but the most important person in CRL this fall is actually going to be you guys listening at home, because if there's nobody that's interested in watching or tuning in, I mean, this is going to collapse, right? Like we're putting all this on for you guys. And uh, we're going to do that with hyper competitive gameplay. We're going to, you know, bring out fun and new and interesting decks and, uh, you know, compete on stage in this awesome setup. But then, yeah, I, I think if, if there's a renewed focus on 
creating these activities or things to engage uh, just people that love to play for the fun of it. I mean, how, how special is that uh, to be able to have competitive and casual players just in one place having fun? Uh, sounds like a blast to me. Sounds like a thriving community to me. Yeah, absolutely. So Matt, real quick, um, before we wrap up our whole interview section, first of all, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Um, we truly appreciate the time you've taken to talk and walk us through everything that's been going on with complexity and CRL and all the competitive esports stuff. It's something that, you know, we got to get a, a slight sneak peek behind the curtain, so to speak. Um, but one of the things that we always ask of our guests on the show is, can you provide us some key tips for casual players? And in this specific instance, I think the question can be phrased more towards, can you provide key tips for casual players that may want to try and become more competitive? Ah, so that's a great question. So um, the most important piece of advice that I give to players wanting to take it a little bit more competitively is to just surround yourself with people who love learning the game. Um, because again, you're going to have to master a certain deck in order to really fully appreciate the advanced mechanics behind it. You're going to have to adapt with the meta as the meta shifts and new cards are released. Um, and also friendly battles are free, right? So right. that's a great way to get some competitive experience in without having to hop in for a grand challenge or a classic challenge. So, um, definitely the, the most important piece of advice I can give to, to casual players would be, uh, surround yourself with other people that, um, enjoy the, the competitive strategic side of the game and, and just have fun talking strategy with them. Right. And then what you'll find is, uh, the more fun you have around the strategy side, the more you're going to end up learning as a consequence. And, uh, if you continue to do that, you're just going to skyrocket from a talent perspective. So, Matt, basically what I hear from what you're saying is that if you're trying to get better at Clash Royale, you should clearly join the Cast Royale Discord because that <laughs> learning environment is where it's at. That's all I'm going to say. Yes. I love it. I have to say I've heard a lot of good stuff about that community, so certainly got the Mastery Matt seal of approval. The reputation precedes itself. <laughs> Boom. So, Matt, before we go, uh, where can our listeners reach you if they wanted to get in contact with you, uh, keep up to date with what's going on in the news of esports? Absolutely. So uh, my Twitter handle is at Mastery Matt. Uh, it's definitely the best place to get in contact with me. My DMs are always open. I can't always get to everybody. I'm so sorry. I wish I could, but I try to be really good about replying. So happy to help in any way I can. That's awesome. And we'll, we will definitely be sure to include that information in the show notes so people can reach out to you. That's right. So Matt, I know Rob kind of said this a little bit before, but man, we, we truly appreciate the time that you took to talk to us, but, but really to share your insights with our listeners, not only on Clash Royale, but esports in general, mobile gaming in general, you know, complexity and mastery.gg and all, all of these things that us as casual players, and I know I mentioned this a little bit before, but we live vicariously through people like you and, um, you know, all of the different things that you've done for the community, starting off from entrepreneurship all the way through doing things out of the wellness of the community, even at your own costs. Um, just because, as you mentioned, right, the when, when, when the sea rises, all the ships in it rise with it. So at, at the end of the day, it, it, kudos to you for, for doing everything that you've done for this game, for the community, and for the people within it, because I think it's people like you, and I can probably say this on behalf of both Rob and I, that allow this community to thrive. And, um, you know, it's, it's an important aspect of the game, that behind-the-scenes look that most people don't get, um, that we have a little bit of insight to now and, and, and that you've just shared with our listeners. So, you know, one more thank you for, for that. And, you know, we truly, truly appreciate your time. And it, it wouldn't be a true episode if we didn't give you a proper boom. <laughs> boom. Boom. Oh! <laughs> 
Yes. <laughs> awesome. Joe and Rob, listen, I'm a huge fan of you guys as well. So I hear you, but I've been a listener from day one too. So, so thrilled to be able to come on the show today. And uh, thank you guys so much for having me. All right, Matt. Well, we won't take up more, more time than we need to. We, we appreciate it, man. And I'm sure we'll be in touch soon. Awesome, guys. It's been a blast. Tonight, we are sponsored by Hymns. Hey, Rob, you're getting up there in, in age, aren't you? You're like 32 or 31 or something, right? 31, but yeah. Well, did you know? That 66% of men lose their hair by the age of 35? I did not know that. And if there's one thing I know for sure, it's that while we're playing Clash Royale, there are plenty of times when we just want to pull our hair out. So why would you want to be someone with bald spots on your head? Dude, you're getting to the age where that's about to happen. We need to be part of the 34% of men that keep their hair. Fortunately for you, I've got the solution. Hymns. A one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and wellness for men. If you're experiencing any hair loss, Hims connects you with real doctors that have medical-grade solutions, as well as well-known generic equivalents to name-brand prescriptions that will help you keep your hair by just going to 4 And what's even better is that now our listeners get a trial month of Hims for just $5 today, right now while supplies last. See the website for full details. This would cost hundreds if you went to the doctor or pharmacy. So be sure to go to forhims.com slash CR. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash CR to get your trial for just $5 today. Thanks a lot to Hims for sponsoring our show. All right, man, you know what time it is? Oh, I know what time it is. It's time for Boom It or Move It. Boom It or Move It. So, Boom It or Move It is a section where Rob and I talk about anything in Clash Royale. Topics, things, otherwise, or balance changes. And we go through each of them very quickly, and we talk about whether we like them, and we boom it, or we don't like them, and we move it. And we explain why. Right. And now that we're doing monthly balance updates, we thought it was fitting to take the current new balance update for 6-4 and do a boom it or move it section. So Joe, what do you say? I would say, boom it. All right, are you ready for number one? Oh, I'm ready. So the Spear Goblins got a damage increase of 34%, but their hit speed is slower from 1.2 seconds to 1.7 seconds. Plus their first attack is now slower. Boom it or move it. So I'm gonna boom this one. All right, why? I think that the Spear Goblins had pretty crazy value, right? I think that ultimately they attacked very quickly, and once they locked onto something, it just kind of melted it. In theory, I think this is supposed to be a nerf, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Which I think it does effectively do. But an indirect buff to this damage increase is that the Spear Goblins now one-shot equally leveled, wait for it, Bats and Skeletons. So these guys can effectively counter very, very easily Graveyard. So if you were ever looking, ever, ever looking to just, you know, counter a Graveyard, you know, who would want to do that? These will work tremendously well, especially if someone misses out on one of them with a Zap or a Poison due to placement. And that, sir, is a very, very good point. So, boom it. I agree. I would definitely boom it too. All right, you ready for the next one? Oh, I'm ready. The Goblin Hut had its lifetime shortened from 60 seconds down to 50 seconds. 
boom it or move it. So ironically, I am also going to boom this one. Nice. Why? Yeah, so previously, when you used to use a fireball or a poison, you would essentially be losing out on an elixir trade, right? Now with this, this makes it a lot easier to take out that building and essentially make it a more even elixir trade. Plus, if you think about it, you're technically having a goblin hut that spawns two less goblins. And if this thing is still locking onto the tower, right? You're not blocking those goblins. It's around 100 damage less to that tower. That's a big deal. And I think that that's good considering what they changed for the spear goblins that you talked about. Yeah, no, I'd agree, right? Like if, if you're not attacking the goblins, the spear goblins back, each one of those two spear goblins will get one hit off on your princess tower before it dies. So it's effectively a nerf in health, which means it won't last as long on the map. Right. It, it also reduces the DPS of that building and reduces overall how many units it generates that you then have to deal with. So, I mean, direct hit to lifespan is huge on this card, and I think it's exactly what it needed to prevent it from overtaking the meta. Yeah, I would agree. Um, so, are you ready for number three? Let's do it. Number three is to the Mega Knight, whose jump and spawn damage was increased by 23%, but had its area damage decreased by 7.5%. Boom it or move it. So I think I'm gonna boom this one too, man. Nice, I don't disagree, but I would still like to know why. Dude, so I think with the previous balance changes, they destroyed this card because they reduced the overall radius of the card itself and they reduced the damage of the jump and spawn. To me, cards like this with the Mega Knight and the Bandit, cards that jump or dash or do anything like that, you can't take what they do away from them and nerf it so much that it becomes unimportant to the match. Right. And to me, increasing the jump and spawn damage by 23% is a huge deal. And I think it allows the card to do what it was meant to do. Jump around the map and destroy if your opponent can't figure out how to defend the jump. But once it locks onto a target or multiple targets, it's not doing nearly as much damage given the 7.5% nerf on its normal attack. So I think this buff slash nerf allows the card to focus on what it should be doing. And when it does it, it's not like a lackluster jump. It's an impactful jump that makes an impact on the match. Right. Plus it's a legendary and this is the key differentiating factor for that card. Totally agree, right? With the previous nerfs, it was like, okay, this guy's jumping around, but not doing anything. Cool. Now, not so much. Boom. Boom. All right. Next one. You ready? I'm ready. The Barbarian hit speed now is faster. They now attack every 1.4 seconds from 1.5 seconds. Boom it or move it. I'm gonna have to boom this one too. All right, why? So I just feel like this card is a card that you see played every once in a while, but I still feel like it needed a little bit of oomph. Like when they land in the arena and they're supposed to take out a giant tanky unit, because that's really what they're used for other than to maybe block like, let's say, a prince or soak up damage from a mini P.E.K.K.A. I feel like having them attack a little bit quicker gives them a little bit of an edge that they otherwise wouldn't have had. Yeah, no, I agree. I think just before this, they were underused, underpowered, and, you know, there are four of them. So while... seconds might not seem like a lot when you throw four of them around anything it makes a pretty big difference right exactly that's exactly my point so with that said are you ready for the next one let's do it 
the battle ram can now be knocked back by the barbarian barrel and the fireball and other things of that nature. Boom it or move it. So I'm definitely gonna boom this one. Ooh. I think, you know, you mentioned the Barbarian Barrel, the Fireball. I mean, this also works with the Bowler, right? So this is also an indirect buff to the Bowler, who previously couldn't really defend these guys too, too well unless you threw it on the battlefield immediately after seeing the Battle Ram come out. Um, right. To me, this allows the this specific card to not be as powerful. And I think, I could be wrong, but I think that this... Um, is also an indirect nerf to things like the Rascals because now multiple things that now would be able to defend against the Battle Ram can also defend against the Rascals. And I mentioned before that it's these bait-style decks with the Rascals that came out that have just become super popular. And um, I think by toning the Battle Ram down, it hurts those kinds of decks while making Bowler-type decks or Barbarian Barrel-type decks even more powerful um, in the meta. So... I think this this change, while seemingly as subtle and targeted towards the Battle Ram, impacts a lot of other cards around it. Yeah, that's a really good point. I especially like the fact that you brought up the Bowler not being able to handle a Battle Ram uh, fairly quickly, if at all, uh, unless it's already broken up as the two Barbarians. So yeah, uh, this is definitely an indirect buff to that. Cool, so the next one up is the Royal Ghost. A little bit of a nerf here. Invisibility delay was increased from 1.2 seconds to 1.6 seconds. Boom it or move it. I'm gonna move it. Really? Yeah, and I knew you weren't gonna see it coming, but I want you to hear me out first. All right. You know, I don't. I don't agree with this at all. But let's let's hear it. I know you don't. Persuade me. Well, I'll try. Um. So uh, originally, I don't. Do you remember how much it used to be? The delay was it one full second? No, previously it was 0.7 seconds. Okay. So I feel like this is an extreme nerf. Like when you're going from 1.2 seconds to 1.6 seconds, I feel like that's a lot. And I feel like the Royal Ghost's main characteristic as a legendary is the fact that it goes invisible, right? I almost feel like this was too much. So like 1.2 to maybe 1.4 seemed right to me. 1.6? I don't know, man. I, I, I was kind of happy with the way that it was delayed previously, and now this might seem a little too long. You good? Did you get that off your chest now? I got it off my chest. I know you still don't agree, and my job wasn't to try and convince you. I just wanted you to understand where I was coming from. Yeah, no, I, I hear you, man. I just, I, for me, this... I, this card drives you nuts. I think that's why you really want to boom it. You know, I... It does drive me nuts, but to me, it doesn't change the root of the card, right? To, to me, the intent of this card is that, yeah, it is invisible, but it shouldn't just go invisible, attack something, go invisible, attack something, go invisible, attack something, go invisible, right? Like, if it was that quick, it makes it overpowered. And I think the concept of this card is that it still spawns invisible. You can still choose when you want it to interact with something. Um, and you can put a card down like a, a, a fraction of a second down too late and it not distract the royal ghost in time and that is infuriating to me um a part of me knew that you were probably gonna say that you didn't like this change but to me this nerf doesn't make it underpowered but it does prevent it from being infuriating in certain situations so i'm all for it yeah that's true it it, it definitely makes it a little bit more manageable and i definitely don't think that it makes it underpowered that's for sure 
All right, so the next one. The wizard received a buff to his area damage by 2%, and his area damage radius was increased by 25%. Boom it or move it. So I think I'm going to move this one, man. Ooh, really? I did not see this coming. Yeah, to me, man, I just... The problem with this card is not that his area damage is too low and it's not that his radius of what he's hitting is too small for me it's the fact that this card is a five cost ranged troop that dies to a lightning <laughs> he is a five cost ranged troop that dies to a poison i mean if he stays in the poison for all eight ticks he dies by an overkill of two total health <laughs> so right. i mean he just barely dies to it but he dies to it and to me, it's not worth the elixir trade disadvantages of using him to potentially be able to kill something like a minion horde or a goblin gang, right? I mean, there's just better options to do that with in the current meta. Um, and I just, for whatever reason, I just wish that there was a very, very, very small increase in HP for this guy to the point where he would be able to live a poison just like the witch does at five cost. And I'll tell you this, man, you see the witch a lot more than you see the wizard, simply because they both cost five elixir, but she doesn't die to a poison. I don't think that it needs this change if it just lives, right? I, I think the problem with this card is that it just dies to things that it's not worth playing. Um, I think if this thing stays on the map, the wizard itself is a tremendously powerful card. If it doesn't die, to a poison, you know, if you remove the ability for it to die to a poison, then it doesn't die to a fireball, doesn't die to a poison, and really the only two cards that you'd have to worry about are lightnings and rockets. But at the end of the day, those aren't in every single deck. And right. it becomes a much more playable card in the current meta. Giving it a damage increase is cool, but it doesn't solve the root of the problem, which is that this card isn't worth playing. That's a good point. Alright, next up is the Valkyrie. Hit points were increased by 7%. It's a pretty big increase, and its first attack is faster. Boom it or move it. Boom. Yeah? Yeah, I always feel like, I know I know that 7% is a big increase, but I always feel like the Valkyrie has like this aura about her that like she just doesn't have enough. I mean, now with this buff, she has essentially around 300 more HP than the knight, right? And she wasn't really doing what she needed to do. You used to use the knight because it was a really high HP unit that did singular damage DPS. Now you have this card that does area damage and is much more beefy. Plus, you do throw her out in situations where it's almost like an emergency, right? So this first attack faster thing, I think is totally appropriate. And that absolutely fits her as a card. Very well said. Couldn't agree more. Thank you. So the last one is to the Ice Golem, who had its hit points decreased by 5%. Boom it or move it. So I'm going to boom this one. Tell me why. So I think that the Ice Golem was just overused. I think that he became a very easy option for people who weren't playing a zap in order to kill either skeletons or bats. Um, you know, you could use a log in your deck and then, you know, supplement the deck itself with an ice golem to either distract big guys or kill little 
bats or skeletons and you know effectively not have the zap anyway <laughs> serve right. the same purpose though um i just think this card was being used way more than it should have been it was used in bridge spam decks it's used in expo decks it's used it's used all over the place right and i just think that this uh reduction in hp really allows maybe the knight to be more of an option right so you're making the ice golem a little bit less of an option which is everywhere you're making the valkyrie a little bit more of an option and people can now kind of go between the three of those cards ice golem knight and valkyrie for either two three or four costs depending on what kind of deck they want to build and they have viable options at each boom boom and that sir is how you bring back boom it or move it so what grade would you give i would give it an a a solid a i would give it a solid a like a 95 yeah i think i'd be i think i'd be right around a 95 maybe like a you know 92 through 95 the the, the solid a I, I i would agree i think the only one i disagreed with was was the wizard just because i i just don't like the direction that they're going with the card because mm-hmm. eventually they're going to realize that the card itself is undervalued right um eventually what's going to happen is they're going to increase its health i think but then they're going to have to reduce some of its damage just because of you know the the overall buffing that they're giving it now maybe it'll just be too much at that point we can only sit from the sidelines talk about it and wait and pray and pray boom all right let's move on to our meta check meta check And our boy, Lloyd Christmas, Sir Devin, comes to us with another awesome meta check. So, Joe, what does Devin have to say? So, our boy Devin hits us with not the numbers, but, dude, this time it is strategy. I'm so excited. Devin's twisting it up on us a little bit, and I think I like it. I'm ready. Let's do it. So, dude, what Devin did is he looked at the numbers in the current meta, and he said, okay, what do we do with this information, right? What is the meta check supposed to do? And really, man, the meta check is just supposed to give you the most viable cards to use in the current meta. But what do you do with that information? And what Devin says is there's two different things that you can do. One, you can use the cards in the meta check to build a deck around. Or two, you can use this information to figure out which cards you should be requesting from your clanmates or purchase from the shop to level up. I am so intrigued to hear about the information that he's going to lay before us. So let's check out this strategy. In this meta check, he focuses specifically on rare cards. And the reason why is because commons themselves get maxed out all on their own. They're the easiest to get, the cheapest to do at first, and at the end of the day, you get the most of them. On the other hand, epics are pretty hard to get. In fact, they are almost impossible to max out without dedicating tremendous amounts of time to leveling them up. But rares, on the other hand, rares are doable. It's a long road, but when you get them maxed out, can have a tremendous impact on the map. That's why I'm working on my rocket. (laughs) That's right. So what Devin did is he gave us a list of rares that we should be requesting that are good, very viable options in the current meta to help us level up cards that'll work with any deck in that meta. Devin left out specific win conditions from this list because win conditions themselves are very preference oriented. If I'm a hog rider player, well, I'm going to do a hog rider and I should probably do that first. Right. If you're a giant player, well then Rob, you should probably max out your giant first before focusing on any of your other cards. Always focus on your win condition first, then move on to those other cards that will have a tremendous impact on the meta. 
Good point. So you ready for the list? Oh, I'm ready. Number one, the fireball. Dun, dun, dun. Not only do you literally get to do more damage on your opponent's tower by having this card maxed, but it also takes certain cards out of your opponent's hand. If they have a low level Electro Wizard or even a Musketeer, it's an even elixir trade with damage done on the tower as well. For this reason and this reason alone, the Fireball is the most important rare to level up. So what's number two? So next up is the Mega Minion. Talk about flexibility. This card is used everywhere for everything. The proof is in the numbers alone. Use rates for this card over the last three months are 40%, 46%, and 45% respectively at the top of the ladder. Level this card up and use it as your defensive specialist in just about any deck you can put together, and it will do wonders. And next up is the Ice Golem, which Devin has dubbed the Great Deflector. I love it. It's <laughs> so good. For its cost, the Ice Golem provides some of the most hit points for any card in the game. Similar to the Mega Minion, just look at the numbers itself. It's being used 32%, 38%, and 41% over the last three months. Given that it just recently got nerfed, those numbers will probably go down just a little bit. But nonetheless, it still serves a very specific purpose in decks. Deflect, distract, and kill squishy troops. And slow things down. Totally agree. So I see here we got the Elixir Pump on this list. What's going on with this card? The Elixir Pump made it to number four. An argument can be made that this is the most important rare to level up if you run a high cost or beatdown style deck, to which I think we would all agree. I would. The key to winning this type of game is gaining an Elixir advantage, and that's exactly what this card does. If this card is under leveled, however, and you're trying to run a beatdown style deck, Small spells or cheap costing troops like the Miner can take this card out for a tremendous elixir loss. Having this card at the appropriate level allows the proper elixir trades to occur. So if you aren't leveling this up, it is an integral part in your deck, you should probably rethink it. And speaking of things taking out the elixir collector, last but not least is the Rocket. For many spell bait style decks, mortar decks, or even expo decks, the rocket spell is the go-to instead of the fireball, and that's typically because it offers significantly more tower damage than any other spell in the game. This card can be used as a Hail Mary cycle card at the end of the game in order to do massive damage to your opponent and take the victory of what would normally feel like a loss. So leveling this thing up to max can have a tremendous impact on a match, especially if used on a tower more than one time in a game. It's a good point. It's also really good to use on a group of troops that you have no other possible way of handling. Yeah, and no, I, I totally agree. I mean, we, we've seen and I've done way too many of these <laughs> where I try to do that and totally miss because the yeah. radius of this spell is so incredibly small. It is high risk, high reward at its best, right? And, um, you know, if you can figure out a way to time it and, and place it properly, it does tremendous things for you on the map. Totally agree. 
So there you have it, guys. I mean, Devin gave us a little bit of strategy with this meta check, giving us the top five rare cards that are not including win conditions to make sure that you request from your clan mates, pick them up from the shop when you have the opportunity to, because in the current meta, they are extremely, extremely viable, and it would be a great idea to invest in them. Yeah, I'm digging this new format that Devin introduced. I hope he uh, sprinkles these in a little bit more often. These are fun. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, can't hurt to freshen things up a little bit. So Devin's hitting us with a different style and I love it. Me too. So Joe, we got some chests. Yeah, we do. What kind of chests do you have? Oh, I got a crown and two big dogs. I also have a crown and two big dogs. Ah, oh, that means I have to go first. Well, <laughs> yes. Little brother never leads, man. This is called strategy. Devin changed up his meta check to strategic meta check, and I am taking a strategic view on this. I, I respect that, even though you have no control over how many chests I get. Right, well, I mean, I can just lie to you and say that I have one less than you every time. <laughs> I know, I'm just busting your chops. All right, so obviously crown chest first, right? Yep. All right, crown chest, here we go. 663 gold. Two gems. It's gonna be good for my challenge plays. <laughs> three minions. Those will do good work. I mean, three of a common? Come on. Now, now we're talking. Thirty-two zaps. That's pretty good. I think they left the two off of the minions. It should have been thirty-two minions. Maybe. Ooh, forty-four rascals. Nice, dude. I know. I only need uh, 17 more and I can get them to level 7? Boom. Boom. 9 Valkyrie. The recently buffed Valkyrie. I know, and that was a great way to finish off a crown chest. Nice. Did you not get a an epic? Of course not. Well, that's quite unfortunate. Alright, my turn. Thanks. That's what I'm here for. Watch, I won't get one either. <laughs> Alright. I hope you don't get one. Crown chest. 662 gold. Nice. Ooh, four gems. What? They literally doubled the gems. Yeah, that's a lot of gems. I don't know if I've ever gotten four gems out of a, out of a chest. 19 rascals. All right, well, I got more than you on that. You did. 59 skeleton barrels. That's pretty good. Nine goblin huts. Ooh. And one, Dark Prince. Got the epic, Ooh, baby. Let's go. Come on, Supercell. I gotta go first, and then you don't give me an epic? Yeah, they just don't care about you. All right, you're up. You're right, they don't. All right, so my first big dog is a giant chest. Nice. 924 gold. Two Mega Minions. Oh my gosh, I thought you just said Mega Knights, and I just I had a heart attack. I'm not that lucky. 40 rascals. So you can get that to level seven now. Boom. Tw no, is that 20 cap? No, no, you need, you need to get to level nine. I don't know what I'm talking about. You still got a little while to go. Don't worry, man. We'll get there together. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. 206 Royal GG. Wow. But they'll give me three minions, right? And 206 Royal Giants. Come on. Right. All right, last but not least, and I'll take it with a huge smile, 60 Dark Goblins. Nice, that's a pretty good card, actually. 
it's an incredible card, especially in Clan Wars. Totally agree. You're up, good sir. Alright, so I see your giant chest, and I match you a giant chest. Ooh, I did not expect you to say that. Alright, 924 gold. 10 giants, pretty good. Wow. Well, this is the opposite of good. 24 <laughs> heal spells. <laughs> that's, that's not what I wanted to see when I click the next <laughs> card. I will tell you that right now. <laughs> 28 flying machines. I've had all rares so far. Uh, so no epics, but 246 ice spirits. Nice. Very nice. So I can actually max that out now. I've, I finally got that to the to the ability. I can max out my ice spirit, dude. But do you have the gold to do so? I do not, because as we mentioned before, I have spent plenty of it on clan wars. <laughs> right. So I, I have my maxed out ice spirit, but you don't. So start catching up. I'm trying. All right, you're up. Well, I see your giant chest and raise you a magical chest. Nice, dude. I'm ready. You ready? Oh, I'm ready. Here we go. 1,320 gold. One battle ram. Eh. Three giants. Nice. Mm-hmm. Four zappies. Nice. Ugh. Well, depends on the mode, but five bomb towers. Mm, nah. I mean, it's never really good, but it helps sometimes. I guess if that's what puts you to sleep at night happily, I'll, <laughs> I'll say okay. It does. It's the only way I can justify it. 13 musketeers. 13 musketeers. That's pretty good. 101 rascals. Nice. Wait. Can, no, no, no. You think, you think you need a little bit more than that to get uh, to get to level 9, right? Correct. Mm, but you are well on your way, sir. Oh, I'm on my way. They are pushing this card hard on me right now. <laughs> yeah, they are. Guess they want you to use it. That's a sign, man. I think so. And last but not least, no legendary, but five Big Mama Pekka. Nice. Yeah, dude. Which is incredible in Clan Wars. What level is your Big Mama Pekka at? Level five. Nice. I spent so much money to get it there. I was just going to say, because level five... Epics is really where you would wind up being in the Silver League, right? And so as long as your Big Mama Peck is level 5, you're set. <laughs> right. And by money, I obviously meant gold. I don't spend money to upgrade cards. Right. Alright, I'm up. So I see your magical chest, and I don't raise it. <laughs> so you fold? <laughs> but I open up a lightning chest for my quests. You ready? Ooh! Ooh, yeah, nice. We don't get those on the show enough. No, we don't. So I get five strikes, and I will tell you my options, and you tell me what you think I should strike. All right. So I have uh, 103 ice spirits, 20 elixir pumps, and two expos. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I am not striking the expos, but now right. that I have a maxed ice spirit, I think I should probably get rid of that. I don't even think that's a question. You have to get rid of that. What about the pump? The pump, I mean, Devin said the pump was a good thing to use. I just don't play beatdown style decks that often. That's true, but you might have to in a clan war. Mmm. That is fair. I think you should let the elixir pump live another round. I agree. All right, I will get rid of the ice spirit. 
zap that away, and I get 103 zaps. Hmm. This is tough. What common would I like better than zaps? I don't think I would like any common better than zaps. No? I've already maxed out my mortar. Level 13 arrows are already done. What about a Tesla? Mm, no, I can max that out. I can max it mm, out. I just don't have the mm -hmm, gold. But mm -hmm. Rascals? Rascals. That would be the only thing. But if, if I don't get Rascals, I'll be pretty upset. Hmm. All right. So I think in this situation, you should keep the zaps and strike the pumps. Yeah? That's what I think. You don't have to do it, but I, that would be my suggestion. Hey, man. I'm with you. I, I struck it. 20 mini P.E.K.K.A.s. Huh. This is like a puzzle box now. It is like a puzzle box. You know what I think though? I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna get rid of it again because I think what I want from this is a fireball. A fireball would be incredible. All right, I zapped it. Oh my gosh, that was so bad. Twenty heal spells. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's so funny. I'm, so I'm I've got funny. two strikes left, so I immediately zap that away. <gasps> Twenty mega minions. I don't think I can zap that away. I don't think I can use that strike on that. I have one strike left. I'm not doing the expo. I'm not getting rid of the, the zaps. And I'm, I, I'd be stupid to get rid of the Mega Minion, right? I mean, that thing is great. I think I'm going to agree with your logic here. I would keep all three cards now. All right. So I skipped. I am done. I got 103 zaps, 20 Mega Minions, and two, count them, two expos. That was awesome. That was fun, man. I don't get those often, so, you know, when we can do it on the show, it makes it even, you know, that much more fun. All right, so let's move on to our... Deck Spotlight. Deck Spotlight! And this deck is called A Complexity Situation because in honor of our guest, why wouldn't we name our deck after Complexity? And it's a 4.4 average elixir cost deck that contains... The Golem, the Baby Dragon, the Prince, the Dark Prince, Mega Minion, Elixir Collector, Zap, and the Tornado. So Joe, help us simplify this complexity situation. All right, man. So this deck is super good. Unfortunately, we've been recording for quite some time now, especially with the interview with Matt. So what we are going to do is an abridged deck spotlight. So quick, quick, quick way to run the deck. This is the ultimate beatdown style deck. You want to run the pump, make sure you get the elixir advantage, defend as minimal as you can in order to assist you in gaining that elixir advantage. Your towers can take some damage. That is not a problem. The reason why is because once you drop your golem down after having an elixir advantage, either through lack of defense or using your pump, it is extremely difficult for your opponent to be able to defend your big push, which is golem, you've got double prince behind that, you've got the baby dragon itself, or the mega minion, whichever is best used, and then oh by the way, you can tornado them all together with splash damage and a zap and destroy them. This deck lacks a huge spell. You're not gonna kill your opponent with spells. Instead, you're gonna destroy them with beat down, overwhelming force of your troops, which are all very different to defend against and all pack a very, very different and unique punch that your opponent has to defend against. 
I like it, man. I don't usually play beatdown style decks, but this one seems pretty cool. You know, it is really cool. It takes a little bit of time to get used to, so do not expect to run this deck right away and um and win right away. And the reason why is because you're going to make mistakes of defending too much. You're going to use the prince and the dark prince on defense as opposed to using your mega minion <laughs> on defense, which is your cheapest troop in the deck, right? Um you know, use the mega minion on defense in order to gain elixir advantages, then use those elixir advantages to create the big push. That's the abridged version of the deck spotlight. We will include a more detailed write-up on how to use the deck within the show notes, so be sure to check that out before using it. But again, this deck will take a few tries before you can master it and actually feel comfortable while using it. Boom, dude. Boom. And that's it, man. We don't have any reviews. I don't even think we'd have time if we did have reviews, which is fine. Um, But if you do leave us reviews, thank you, thank you, thank you. Like we say every week, it's the number one way you can help us reach more people. However, we did get a new patron. New Patreon. Huge shout out to Brian W. Taking his hard-earned money and deciding to donate it to our show. Like we say all the time, our patrons are the reason why we're able to do what we do. They help support this show, and they are the backbone to Cass Royale. So, dude, thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts. Joe and I cannot express enough how much we appreciate what you've done. Very well said. Boom. Boom. And that's it, man. I don't really have much else. If you would like to reach out to us via email, you can shoot that email to feedback at CassRoyalePodcast.com. Com. And if you'd like to reach out to us on Twitter, you can do so by using the handle at PodcastRoyale. That's right. And be sure to join our Discord by going to CastRoyalePodcast.com slash Discord. We recently introduced these new self-roles so you can get notified for specific things that you want to be notified about in our server. So that's pretty cool. That's right. And if you're in our Discord, you can join our clans by being the first to know when a spot is open. Also. Players from the community host tournaments for us all to practice in. So be sure to check it out. Boom. And special thank you to CLNSmedia.com for hosting our show on their site. If you're looking for the latest and greatest in podcasting, be sure to check them out on the web. And last but certainly not least, thanks a lot to Hims for sponsoring our show. And with that, Joe, we're done. We will see everyone next time for another hodgepodge of everything. Hodgepodge of everything. Boom. Boom. Bye. Bye. Bye.